Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to episode 25 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. This week, we're going to remain on the topic of earthquakes. However, this time we are transplanting to the United States, to an area that you wouldn't necessarily think would be prone to seismic activity. That's right, this week we're discussing the New Madrid Seismic Zone. This area is the most seismically active in the country and is responsible for a series of devastating earthquakes that ranged between a magnitude 7.2 to 8.2 between 1811 and 1812. Following our historic tour of the seismic zone, as well as a quick stop in the 1800s to discuss the devastating series of earthquakes that occurred, We'll take a look at the risk and exactly what another series of earthquakes would resemble to this very day. The population in the states that border this seismic zone have only continued to grow, placing hundreds of thousands at an increased risk. seismic zone formed during the Cambrian period or approximately 500 million years ago. It is embedded in a subsurface geological feature known as the Real Foot Rift. The Real Foot Rift was first described by Irvin and McGinnis in 1975 and is believed to be of the late Precambrian age. The rift failed to split the North American continent, but it has remained as an Aulacogan, a scar or zone of weakness deep underground. This relative weakness is important because it would allow the relatively small east-west compressive forces associated with the continuing westward continental drift of the North American plate to reactivate old faults around New Madrid, making the area unusually prone to earthquakes in spite of it being far away from the nearest tectonic plate boundary. Due to this, the New Madrid seismic zone has remained one of the most active faults east of the San Andreas, an area that we typically associate with massive earthquakes. The 150-mile or 240-kilometer-long seismic zone, which extends into five states, stretches southward from Cairo, Illinois, through Haiti, Carothersville, and New Madrid in Missouri, through Blithville into Marked Tree in Arkansas. It also covers part of western Tennessee, near Real Foot Lake, extending southeast into Dyersburg. It is southwest of the Wabash Valley Seismic Zone, and most of the seismicity originates between 3 and 15 miles, or 4.8 and 24.1 kilometers beneath the Earth's surface. Throughout history, the New Madrid Seismic Zone has unleashed some devastating earthquakes. Based on artifacts found buried by sand below deposits and from carbon-14 studies, previous large earthquakes like those of the 1811 and 1812 appear to have happened around AD 14. 50 and 900, as well as around AD 300. Evidence has also been found for an apparent series of large earthquakes around 2350 BC and about 80 kilometers southwest of the presently defined New Madrid seismic zone, but close enough to be associated with the real foot rift. Near Mariana, Arkansas, two sets of liquefaction features indicative of large earthquakes have been tentatively identified and dated to 3500 and 4800 BC. These features were interpreted to have been caused by groups of large earthquakes timed closely together. When looking more geologically recent, the 1811 and 1812 earthquakes were devastatingly strong. Written records from this time speak of intense shaking, 
buildings collapsing, and fissures opening up in the ground. The epicenters of these earthquakes were located in an area that at the time was at a distant western edge of the American frontier, only sparsely settled by European pioneers. Contemporary accounts have led seismologists to estimate that these stable continental region earthquakes were felt strongly throughout much of the central and eastern United States, across an area of roughly 50,000 square miles or 130,000 square kilometers, and moderately across nearly 3 million square kilometers or 1 million square miles. The 1906 San Francisco earthquake, by comparison, was felt moderately over roughly 6,200 square miles or 16,000 square kilometers. The quakes caused extensive damage to the region's topography, Subsidence, uplift, fissures, landslides, and riverbank collapses were common. Trees were uprooted by the intense shaking, and others were drowned when subsided land was flooded. Real Foot Lake was formed in Tennessee by subsidence ranging from 1.5 meters up to 6 meters in some places. Lake St. Francis in eastern Arkansas was expanded by subsidence, with sand and coal being ejected from fissures in the adjacent swamps as water levels rose by 8 to 9 meters. Waves from the Mississippi River caused boats to wash ashore, riverbanks rose, and sandbars were destroyed, and some islands were completely disappeared. Sand blows also occurred in Missouri, Tennessee, and Arkansas, destroying farmland. Due to the limited number of rocks in the soil, the seismic waves generated from the earthquake were able to travel great distances without being interrupted. Persons as far away as Canada felt the ground shaking. Intense effects were widely felt in Illinois, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri. The number of deaths that occurred as a result of these earthquakes is unknown due to this very day. Due to the location of these earthquakes and the period in which they occurred, it was still relatively new within the country for settlers. While we may never know the true number, it is safe to assume that there were indeed deaths and injuries due to the sheer strength of these quakes. Now today, as we look at the same geographic area where these quakes occurred in the 1800s, we're no longer looking at small populations at risk. We're looking at hundreds of thousands in the path of what could be catastrophic earthquakes. Such cities at risk include Memphis, Tennessee, St. Louis, Missouri, Little Rock, Arkansas, and Evansville, Indiana. However, I don't believe the risk ends here. To this date, only certain states have adopted international building code standards and others allow the local authority to develop said codes. It isn't a matter of if an earthquake is going to strike along the New Madrid fault zone, but when. History paints a portrait that shows this portion of the country remains in an extremely high risk for future earthquake occurrences. To date, among the seven states in the New Madrid seismic zone, four, those include Arkansas, Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee, have adopted minimum statewide building codes. However, three of these states, which are Illinois, Mississippi, and Missouri, have not adopted minimum building code requirements and have instead passed it to the local municipality. In actuality, one state has also adopted amendments that weaken these model codes. In the states where statewide building codes are mandatory, a local authority still has to introduce ordinances to adopt and enforce the state building codes for the jurisdiction. We're going to take a quick break right here, and when I return, let's take a look at what a worst-case scenario could resemble along the New Madrid Fault Zone. Now before the break, we've reviewed some of the historic data that is available to us. We learned that the seismic zone remains one of, if the most active in the United States, and has the power to potentially destroy entire cities should a strong enough earthquake occur. As we look at theoretical impacts, one of the things that stands out to me is the soil composition. Stated earlier, the soil where the New Madrid seismic zone is located has very light accumulations of stones throughout. 
This means that the seismic waves are able to travel farther and at peak intensity damaging more in the path of the earthquake. The event that I have developed today will include some pretty graphic depictions of injuries and death. I advise those who may be squeamish or are under the age of 15 to please move forward in the episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the theoretical scenario. It is a hot 4th of July weekend. Hundreds of thousands seek outdoor activities, go to local lakes, visit outdoor spaces, and begin travel for their vacations. However, many don't realize is that this 4th of July weekend will be their last. Just beneath the surface, forces and pressures are forming that will unleash a hellacious earthquake. For the last week, four shocks have been erupting along the New Madrid seismic zone, prompting the United States Geological Survey to announce warnings ahead of this upcoming earthquake. While the warnings came out well ahead of time, they were simply ignored. Many along the seismic zone did not take any precautions and simply continued enjoying their holiday weekends. And as day turned to night, many began settling into their spots for fireworks displays. However, not long after the fireworks started, a subtle shaking along the entire fault zone began before erupting into a magnitude 8.2 earthquake. Almost immediately, Memphis, Tennessee began recording severe damage, including a massive flood that ripped through due to the Mississippi River overreaching its banks. Interstate travel throughout the city was essentially brought to a halt due to many sections of I-240, I-40, I-55, and Route 78 collapsing. The airport experienced exceptionally high floodwaters forcing the ground stop of all aircraft and many others en route to divert to other non-affected airports. In Arkansas, the damage was similar, especially in Blythville, where a large fissure formed due to soil weakness and an older section of I-55 collapsing due to the sheer forces encountered here. The shaking only lasts 30 seconds, but for those who experience this earthquake, they will never experience something similar again. In New Madrid itself, the town is almost completely leveled and a massive flood races through, taking with it what wasn't destroyed in the initial quake. In St. Louis, the Gateway Arch meets its maker, succumbing to the immense pressures caused by the magnitude 8.2 earthquake. As fireworks light up the sky, the gleaming metal structure crashes into a hail of stainless steel and glass. Those inside watching the Independence Day celebration unfortunately meet their end. St. Louis International Airport quickly ceases operations as the Missouri Air National Guard scrambles to get helicopters in the air to begin surveying the damage. As the morning light begins to dot the landscape, chaos and grief grip the nation. Nearly all ground travel is halted due to interstates and roadways being impassable as a result of fissures and ground shifting. Older buildings throughout towns and cities that were not upgraded to withstand earthquakes now lay in rubble piles as first responders sift through the debris to try and locate those alive and dead. The federal government immediately activates the National Response Plan due to the sheer damage. For those unfamiliar with the National Response Plan, the NRP provides mechanisms for expedited and proactive federal support to ensure critical life-saving assistance and incident containment capabilities are in place to respond quickly and efficiently to catastrophic incidents. These are high-impact, low-probability incidents, including natural disasters and terrorist attacks that result in extraordinary levels of mass casualties, damage, or disruption severely affecting the population, infrastructure, environment, economy, national morale, and or government functions. Within hours, the the first semblance of federal aid begins arriving in the form of national urban search and rescue teams capable of deploying anywhere in the country to provide critical aid in the area of search and rescue. Nonprofits also begin organizing and deploying into the affected cities. Such nonprofits as the Red Cross begin activating their local chapters in an effort to quickly bring aid and necessary services to those affected. As the hours turn into days, the response phase is now in full effect. With tens of thousands of emergency relief workers from all sectors now deployed, Critical aid is now being distributed, reunification centers begin operation, and families can once again be together. Emergency cell networks begin to activate and allow critical interagency communication. While it is known this event was large, no one knew the true extent to which this earthquake struck. Now, nearly six months following the earthquake, 
Those affected begin returning home to begin picking up the pieces and search for a new sense of normalcy that existed before everything was taken before their very eyes. Buildings that collapsed are rebuilt now to enhanced seismic codes. It is estimated that it will be a year before a full count of fatalities is available, but early estimates place this number somewhere close to 20,000 and well over 150,000 injuries. This is obviously a very exaggerated scenario that shows the true worst case that could occur along this seismic zone. I hate to say it, but there is no way that these communities are ready for the earthquake that will strike next. If a state can't even adopt simple building codes, what makes you think that other precautions have been taken? I urge all of you who may live in this area is to prepare like this earthquake will strike tomorrow. Ensure that you have enough food and water to last well over two weeks, enough medical supplies and necessary medications should you take prescriptions, and a secondary and tertiary communication method should communication networks fail, which in all likelihood they will. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode this week. If you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star rating and share it with your friends and family. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 